But we've been talking over the last few weeks about core values. This week, we've been talking specifically about a core value of Church on the Hill being having a heart for the lost. And we've talked over the last few weeks about how uh, it seems that the church is not hitting the target, that, that, that the world has heard their story already, that we're kind of repeating the same things, that we need a fresh approach. Say, Pastor, how does that line up with Scripture? Well, look at the fishermen. They've been fishing all night, been fishing in the wrong spots, and Jesus said, try this. It's okay to do something different because over here is not working. Jesus says, try over here. Well, you know what? We've been fishing all night and not caught anything. And Jesus, you're not a fisherman. Try over here anyway. Okay. They throw it. They catch more than they can handle. Amen? Can you imagine if your livelihood was based on whether you caught fish and you're spending your whole time? Have you ever watched uh, Deadliest Catch? And let me tell you, they get upset when they don't meet their quota. But when Jesus says, over here, you're not just going to meet your quota. You're going to meet the quota of another boat. And it's going to be so much that neither of you can handle it. Do it my way. That's kind of my message today is my way, is God's way. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But we've been looking at three stories about a heart for the lost. And this is directly from Jesus. He gave us three stories. One we looked at two weeks ago was uh, the lost sheep, 99 sheep. And, and the, the shepherd leaving the 99 who does not need the help and going and getting that one. Going after that one and bringing it back in. And then we looked last week at the lost coin. And what we learned last week from the lost coin is that Jesus cares about quantity. He uses numbers in these stories. He has a book named Numbers. He is about what we are doing and how much we do. You know, God is a God of multiplication. Not addition. He's a multiplier. You, you put uh, One can put a thousand to flight to ten thousand. Right? God is all about exceeding abundant. And he is about numbers. He is saying that, you know, we're not just going to go after one. We're going to go after them all. When do we stop? When everybody's saved or when Jesus comes back. Then you can know we've reached the finish line. Let's go to heaven and rejoice forevermore. Until then, our job is to find that coin. And to not stop searching until you found them all. Are you with me? Number two. Jesus persistently searches. It talked about the woman who lost the coin. She dropped everything she was doing and searched and searched and searched and searched and did not stop until they found it, until she found it. You got somebody that you feel like is kind of being laid on your heart? You keep, you keep after it until you get it. You keep after it until you get it. Have you gotten it yet? No? Okay, well, we got something to do. Great. The Lord's going to help you. Amen? Come on now, second service. Wake up with me now. Number three. With all these stories, there was a great celebration at the end. We're going to rejoice. We're going to jump up and down. We're going to sing. If you've gotten saved in the last couple of weeks, you need to be baptized. And we need to do what Jesus said to do and baptize you in water. You want to confess with your mouth. That's one way of being able to confess in front of everyone that I received Jesus Christ. And we also do it because Jesus said to do it. We also do it because Jesus did it. So we need to get baptized and we need to have a celebration time. Amen. All right, last week I also ended with the impact of people that come to Jesus. What brings people to Jesus? And we looked at numbers last week, and the largest number was 76% of people that came to Jesus came to Jesus because of friends and family. And I left you last week saying, if your friend is going to come to God, it's going to have to be done because of you. 
you may be the only Jesus they ever see. But they're not going to come for church programs. They're not going to come for the pastor. They're going to come because of you. I bet if we did a poll of Church on the Hill, I would guess at least 76% have come because you have been invited. I was invited. And I would bet you were too. Think of where you had been had you not been invited. It's big for my life. So today we're going to look at uh, the lost son. The final story. And let's just pick it up right here. Blake, if you can switch over. Uh, I'm in New King James. and It doesn't matter. Whatever translation you put up is fine. Luke 15, verse 11. We're just going to start reading. If you've got your Bibles, get them out because here I go. Then he said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not so many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a faraway country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there was a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. You know what that means? Began to be in want. It means he's, he's all spent up, and he, he's needing some help. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and uh, bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Uh, we'll stop. We'll stop there. You see music and dancing. Oh, how do I miss that? I don't, I don't know what y'all have worked up. I don't know what happened this morning, but it was unbelievable. Well, it looked worked up. That's how God works. Next thing you know, I'm sitting here worshiping and we're singing uh, Desert Song or Mighty to Save. And I see in unison like fields of wheat going across. And it, it was all I could do just to hold myself together. Uh, you know we love dancing. We, you know we love our girls. My girls get out here and dance. And um, we have a heart for dancing. But something was happening, Andrea, w- with you and the girls and something there was there was unity there was there was the holy spirit there was um harmony uh there was there was power and it it, what what was happening here was getting on to me and i would hope it gets on to you and let let the lord's spirit do what he desires here But you can see the sons come home and there was singing and dancing. And I believe loud music and they got the band out and they turned, they got the drums out. They didn't get the tambourines out, but they got everything else out. (laughs) If you're new here, I don't like the tambourine. (laughs) 
I bet they did get out the tambourine. As God says, Pastor Paul, I didn't make the tambourine for you, apparently. He says, I made it for me. Amen. And those people that play it off beat are playing it unto the Lord. (laughs) You know what? It's the truth. It's the truth. (laughs) But there is singing and dancing. Oh, let us receive the little children in this church. And let us worship you, Father, as you desire to be worshipped. And Lord, what, what was brought with Andrea stepping out, Andrea is a dance teacher, is it brought order. And it brought maturity. And it brought authority. And it just lined everything up. Y'all know when we worship, what are we doing? We are positioning, positioning ourselves under the authority of God. Why does God move in church? Because we position ourselves for him to move. He says, if you will call on me, I will answer. He says, if you will draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Isn't that good? There's so much in this story as I read it. It shows, it shows the father's compassion. It shows his tenderness. How the father runs to the son and puts his head on his neck. And kisses him. Not the child's head on the father's neck. The father's head on the child's neck. But what do we learn about this story about the lost son? Number one. That God's love is patient. God is willing to wait. He is willing to allow us to run our course. Knowing that we're going to rightfully come home. And we're not going to come home until we've done what we're going to do anyway. You know, in my life, I was saved at five years old. I was spirit baptized at 17 years old. And then let me tell you, I fell off the wagon and I had, I don't want to say I went as far as the prodigal did, but I think I, I think I did, I did my share. And I heard Lyndall Cooley once on one of his recordings, they sing, I've been delivered. And y'all know we do that song, but right in the middle of the song, he starts talking and he starts talking how even in his life, he's battling sin and he's battling demons and he's battling the things of the world. And he said, you know what? And I'm in the church. I'm saved. I'm spirit filled. I'm a worshiper. And here I am battling it. You know, even though we're saved, we still have to battle sin. And I was talking to my sin, my son, my sin, my son this week. Sometimes you need to talk to your sin too. That was. Pastor Stephen said that was prophetic and he's not joking. It is. Sometimes you need to just war. That sin's got a hold of you and you need to stand up and start proclaiming the word of God over it. And it has to go. Um, But I was talking to my son and just talking about sin. And he's like, dad, you know, what about you? And I said, son, I sin. I am not Jesus Christ. Jesus was the only man to be able to walk the earth and not sin. We battle it. We battle it. But you know what? God, you know, what is your view of God? Is your view of God a God that's up there with a magnifying glass, getting the sun just right and just beaming it down right on you, the little ant and laughing? <laughs> look, at, look at that. No. He is patient. He is loving enough to say, okay. You go to him and say, God, I want to go this other direction. Give me my money. You know the story of the prodigal. Dad, I'm done with you. Give me what's rightfully mine and I'm out of here. What does the father say? Okay. 
Here's what's yours. Go. And what does the son do? It says he goes into prodigal living. He's gambling. He's drinking. He's fall, he's falling off the wagon. He's wasted it all. Worldly living. What happens? He runs out of money. So what does he do? He gets a job. Working with the pigs. And he has a moment looking at what the pigs are eating and thinking, you know what? They're eating better than me. But what happened to the son? He had to come to himself. And you know, in my prodigal living, my parents couldn't pull me out of it. My wife couldn't pull me out of it. I had to come to myself and say, I'm not doing this anymore. You know, we had a moment in our life where I just said, I can't do this anymore. I have to change. It has to be me. And I'm sorry. I've not been, I've not been, I've not been fulfilling my role as husband. I almost said I've not been faithful. I've always been faithful to my wife. Let me make that clear quickly. But we mess up. We mess up. And he came to himself. God will let you. How many, don't anybody raise your hand, but how many here has God let, let you go and do your own thing? God is not a manipulator and he's not a controller. He desires you, but he desires you to choose him. And sometimes, you know, it took some of my prodigal living to find and really learn to trust God. I had to get to the point of realizing I can't do this anymore before I could really start to believe that Jesus Christ was my Lord and Savior. And he's willing to let you go, I think, sometimes to even strengthen the relationship. The son needed to leave to find value in the father. The son had lost value in the father. And he wanted to leave. God is so patient that he lets us go. What kind of God do you know? He is a God that loves. And you know what? He has a way. He has a perfect way for you. And over the weekend, we've had a, a really funny situation to happen. Robert Owens, if you don't know Robert, Robert is a deacon in my church. And him and Dana, they have four children and expecting their fifth. And they're in the middle of moving. They're, they're moving into a new home. And he called me and I offered a vehicle that we had to help him move. So he took the car this weekend. He took the, this van that I have. And, and uh, he, uh, he kind of got it parked on a hillside and kind of got it jimmied. In a, it was in a fine place. But he thought that it was messed up and the steering wheel locked. And it's an 87. It's an old van. You know, it's the type that whenever you dim the lights, you got to press that button up there. Y'all remember that thing? Yeah, it's just funny. Uh, uh, so he called me and said, Paul, I don't know what to tell you that I can't get the van to, to even turn over. The steering wheel column is locked. And do you normally have that problem? I said, no, there's a little button on the side. It's an old school. He said, yeah, I know what I've tried it. We've tried rocking it. We've done everything. I said, okay, I'll be there in a minute. It's eight o'clock at night, uh, Friday night. And I got over there and he handed me the keys and it just didn't strike, something struck me funny. I did, couldn't identify what it was, but something just struck me funny. And I went and got in the van and Pete's out there with me and we're rocking that thing and making it move. And the steering wheel would loosen up a little bit, but nothing would turn. And I mean, it's all, it's, it, 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 it's all we could do not to just break the steering wheel in half. You know, you, you want to, you, y'all know what I'm talking about. You got to really pull on it to get the, the steering wheel. To, if anybody's ever had a car that's done that, it, anyway. So 15 minutes go by and I'm praying, me and Pete were praying, Lord, help the van start. I don't want to give him some lemon that he's going to wish I didn't even give him that wasted his time. And, and then I was praying with Robert, Lord, help. What is it? And after about 15 minutes and I'm sweating and we're out there working. And I said, Robert, this is not what I gave you. This set of keys 
isn't what I gave you. I just looked at it. It had a Kroger's uh, scan on it. And mine had a Tennessee Tech thing on it. I just thought, you know, Robert has his way of doing it. He wants to put his thing on it or he needed the Kroger card. So, because it was a set of Ford keys and it was the two keys. It looked, you know, they looked the same. If you got Ford, all the keys in that year looked the same. And I looked at him and his countenance just went. And I, out of my mouth, I said, Robert, I am going to kill you if you've got me over here. And I thought, I can't say that. That was bad to say. But I'm literally thinking, have you gotten me over here and you've got the wrong set of keys? And sure enough, Dana had the other set of keys. But, but the thing is, and he said, oh, my goodness, you're going to preach on this, aren't you? And I said, you know, I hadn't thought of it until you said that. And yes, I am. Because you know what? He was doing, we were doing everything right. We had the right tools. We had everything that we needed that should have worked. But it was the wrong key. And the wrong key is designed not to work. The car has been developed so that it won't work. And God has a kingdom that says, if you will just line up with me, or if you will just try to line up with me. If, you, if your heart is right, but your method is wrong sometimes, I believe the Lord is a God of mercy and grace. You know, the prodigal said, Dad, I'm not even worthy to be a son. What did the dad say? Uh-uh. No, I, he couldn't even get it out of his mouth before he said, bring restoration to my son. Bring full restoration to my son. He is my son. Put a coat on him. Put a ring on him. Go kill the cow. We're going to party. You're my son. Even though the prodigal had the wrong view of the dad, it didn't matter. The dad was the dad. The master was the perfect master. And you know what? The master saw him from afar off. What does that tell you? That means he had been looking for him. But he didn't go after him. That's one thing I want you to catch from this story right here. With the sheep, he went after it. With the coin, they searched for it. But with the prodigal, he didn't go. Right? All right, hold that thought. What does the coin represent? Also that God waits, is God is patient, but that he's waiting expectantly. The story shows us that he's looking for you every day. Not only is he looking for you, but he's desiring you. And he desires you so much that he's going to break down when you get home. There are three kinds. There are three kinds of lost people. Number one, the, what the coin represents is people who are lost and don't even know it. You know, you're going to share the gospel with some people that are not even going to realize that they're not saved. You know, I know of people in the church that have been going to church their whole life, 20, 30 years, 40, 50 year old seasoned churchgoers. And that when finally the light goes on, they react, you know, I didn't even know I was supposed to, that there was more, that, that I had not even received Jesus Christ. No, I've never confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I just thought going to church and going through the right things and being involved in all the programs and being a part was enough. You know, some people are lost and don't even know it. There are people around you that don't know they're going to hell. Amen? Thousands in Putnam County. Don't know it. Number two, what does the sheep represent? 
The sheep represents people who are lost and know it, but don't know what to do about it. Once you catch something about the sheep, I believe the sheep are still saved people. They were a part of the flock. They just got out and got away. You know, when we're, when we're out here fishing for lost people, it's not just people that have never received salvation. When I ran, I was lost. I was gone. But I was saved. Are y'all with me? Then finally, the prodigal represents people who are lost and know it and know what to do about it. The prodigal son says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm far away from home, but I'm going to dad's house. I'm going to tell him that I've sinned against him. Now he was lost and he knew he was lost and he knew what to do about it. Now, again, here's the interesting thing about the three stories. The only one Jesus didn't go after was the third one. This was the one, the lost one who knew he was lost and knew what to do about it. So church on the hill, how do we respond? What is our perspective? If we're going to be like Jesus and reach people and keep this as a core value, what are we going to do? Let's look at Luke chapter 10, verse 1. And this this is how Jesus turned the tables. He sent out the 70, two by two, telling him these stories. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest and send out laborers into his harvest. Our perspective, what do we do here? How do we become a redemptive person? How do we become a redemptive person? Number one, it requires a decision. Just like the prodigal, the prodigal had to make a decision to change. If you want to get on board with help, helping, fulfilling what Christ said with the great commission to go out into all the world, you're going to have to make a decision to do it. It's not just going to happen. We can continue to meet every Sunday morning at 1030 and just go on about our lives, or we can make a decision to do something. But you've got to decide. The decisions that I had to make in my life, she couldn't make for me. My parents couldn't, couldn't make for me. They were praying for me, but I had to make a decision. And we've got to make a decision, Church on the Hill. Are we going to do this or not? Number two, it requires preparation. You know, we are, we are, we are a spirit-filled Baptist church here, and we have spirit-filled worship. We are praying. We are seeking God. But even as being spirit-filled, sometimes we can allow it to think, well, you know what, let's just don't prepare and let's just let the spirit move us. I don't believe that's how God moves. Go and look at the tabernacle and look at the intricate order of the tabernacle. Every type of thread, every type of fabric, every type of hardware, everything was set in perfect place. Now, I believe when we prepare as a worship team, the Lord is able to move in us and take us off of our page sometimes. But when you go out to save someone, when you go out to pray with someone, you need to be prepared. You need to pray. You need to be in the word. And you need to ask the Lord to help you. Amen? The things you're battling right now, you need to be praying and you need to be in the word and you need to be asking for help. Number three. It requires accountability. 
You know, I said it this morning that I, you know, my wife and my parents and Pastor Stephen, and there's some people that I, I try to be accountable to, especially when it comes to pulpit ministry, of where can I improve? Where are we going wrong in staff meetings and board meetings? And as my deacons, where, what, what do we need? And we need accountability. And even this morning, I just I asked, you know, what did you think? And she gave criticism. She's being salt and light. Sometimes on a wound, it hurts a little bit, but boy, it heals up a lot quicker. And then, then comes the next criticism. You know, sometimes when you get going and people receive it, it just encourages you to give more. So, you know, at some point it just needs to stop. Okay. Now that was too much salt. Put the lid back on that thing and let's, let me take it in moderation. That's scriptural, right? Moderation. But we need accountability. Men, we need accountability. That's why we need a men's group. It's why we need a life group. It's why we need one another is to be accountable to one another. But finally, it requires continual focus. How many know that when you have a task that you know is of God or is very important at your work, everything comes at you to try to stop you from doing it? My top two things every morning is to read my Bible and pray. And let me tell you, every demon in hell tries to come at me to stop me from doing any, doing it. I gave the example, and this is not about you. And she thought this was about her, but it's like cleaning your house. This is what I do. It's like cleaning my desk. Um, let, let's say I go into a room and this room's dirty. The, the whole house is dirty. We've got four kids. It happens. Don't think for a second you can keep a complete clean house 24-7 when you've got four kids. All you need is me to show up. Yeah, so I go in one room and I start working in that room and I take something from one room because it needs to go in the other room. And what happens? You get sidetracked and you start working in this room. Next thing you know, you've not gotten anything done. But the thing to do is to stay with this room until you're done. That problem is going to be there when you get back to it, right? But we stay focused. The Lord has called you to go out into the world. But every time you try it, you get sidetracked and another thought comes in your mind. You wind up talking about something else. Nope, stay on target church are you with me all right because there's a tendency that everything is going to take your time i'm almost done we're going to close right here and i did an acrostic i think sometimes these things are goofy but i'm gonna do them anyway you know sometimes we just need to be goofy hence pastor Stephen. y'all didn't hear him he gave me a big loud amen that's why i did that no he's not goofy ish okay What do we do? You remember we talked about being salt. Number one, when we're sharing the the love of God with people, we show love. Forgive me. I love you. All right. These people, to these people that don't know Christ, show them love. Let them see love. Let them see Christ in you. Don't tell them everything they're doing wrong. Who wants to hear that? Not me. They just want to see. All you're doing is just confirming what they think church people are, is hypocrites. They're going to tell me everything I'm doing wrong and yet be a complete mess in their own life. We all know we're messes in our lives. Quit showing everybody else their mess. Show them love. Love them anyway. Praise God, people love me even with my my, my hang-ups. Show them love. Number two, ask questions. You want to know how to be a good friend? Find out about somebody else. Don't always spend your time telling them about you. 
Be quiet and ask about them. You want to know where somebody is in their walk with God? Ask them. You know, something I've learned as being a minister is people want to tell you their problems. You know, with Elizabeth, she lost her mother at 21. And for so long, people were so sensitive, walking on eggshells, not asking her about it. And, you know, this is what sometimes we think in the natural. I think this is Satan's ploy. Don't ask them about it. Everybody's asking about it, and they just want to get away from it. That's not where they are at all. They want to talk about it. They want to see that you even know that her mother has died. And ask her, how was she doing? And let her be able to share. I'm not trying to ask you to everybody go pile on her and go ask her about how she is with her mother. But ask. You're at work. You know somebody's battling in their life. Ask him about it. It will open the door wide open for you to hit them with the word of God. All you need to know is that they're hurting. What did I do? With love. Next, listen. Listen. When people talk to you, you know, they're, they're going to know whether or not you're listening to them. Block everything else that's going on in your mind and hear what they're saying. And listen to them. People have major holes in their lives and they're waiting for someone to listen. And finally, turn the subject to Jesus. Everything's going to happen in your life and you're going to want to give them the 10 steps on how to be successful. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. Don't let the devil take that moment away from you. Throw some salt out. Throw some salt out. I want to tell you a story about a man who was powerfully saved in a church, not this church, but he had spent 15 years in prison for murder. And he was recently released and he had been searching. He had, he had come to a Sunday service at this church. And it was, it's a, actually a church out west. Knowing that God would be there. And he wanted to see him. And he said to his pastor, he said, Pastor, when you told the people, when you told people that God could forgive the past and that no matter what a person had done, uh, that it, no matter what a person had done and that God had grace to forgive and totally change a person, He said, I came forward for the pastors to lay hands on me. And later that night after church, he went home and he said, for the first time in 17 years, there was no guilt. He said, I felt totally forgiven. I felt completely accepted by God's love. He said, it was truly an amazing grace night. That's what it's all about. Don't you think it's worth a shot? I want you to catch the thing about the prodigal and the, and the father. The father didn't ask him what he'd done. He didn't care. It's not that the Lord doesn't care the sin that you're in. But when you come to him, that's not the priority. The priority is you're here. The priority is you're back. You know, you may be at this place. Maybe you've stepped away. Maybe you'd say, I'm saved, but I've stepped away. Maybe you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Isn't it worth a shot than for you to have to walk around feeling like you're feeling? You know, the prodigal thought, you know, I've done so bad, I don't even know if he'll receive me. Maybe he'll just receive me as a servant. You know, and that's not God's nature. God's nature is to fully restore you. To treat you as a son, not as a servant. We all bow your heads with me. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you'd say, Pastor... I have been away from God. I need the Lord. 
but I feel like I can't come back because of all this guilt and all this stuff that's going on in my life. Maybe you'd say, Pastor, I've never even received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I want Jesus. If that's you, I just want you. With nobody looking around, just slip your hand up and say, I need a change. I need Jesus. I need, I see that hand. I need, I see that hand. I need Jesus. You've stepped away and you feel like you're in that position, whether it's financially, whether it's spiritually, whether it's, whether it's some type of addiction that you're walking through. Maybe you're, you're, you're not lining up with your, with your marital, uh, responsibilities. I need to leave this pig pen and return back to my father. Just lift your hand up. I'm going to give you just another minute. I need Jesus. I see all those hands. I see those. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For those of you that didn't raise your hand that want to, I want you to pray with me, and I want everybody to pray together. We're just going to pray a simple simple uh, prayer just that we are, would turn our hearts back to the Lord. And I just ask you all to pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I've messed up. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. Lord Jesus, take me in. I receive you today as Lord and Savior. Help me. Receive me. Restore me. In Jesus' name. If that was you today, I just encourage you. I want you to know that the Father has been looking for you. And not only has He been looking for you, but He has been desiring you. And you know what? You feel like you're so beat down and that you have no worth, that you have no value. But I want you to know that the Father looks at you differently. He was your cre- He is your creator. And he has a mighty, powerful plan for your life. And that is a plan of good and not bad. That is a plan of prosperity and not poverty. I thank you, Lord, that the word says that if you will return to me, I will return to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Will you all stand with me, please? If those that are ministering would come forward, we'd like to take a moment to pray with you. If you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the first time today, I want to ask you to step out and let us take some information down about you and let us pray with you. But if you have a health need, if you have a financial need, if you have a marital need or a relationship need, whatever needs you have, my God is a God who saves. My God is a God who moves mountains. You may be up against a mountain. Well, get down here and let's pray that that mountain melts like wax in the presence of the Lord. Amen.